You're listening to Easier, a podcast about making life and work easier. I'm Anthony Wagner, and this is episode number 35. Each Wednesday, we'll embark on a journey together to discover the best tips for living and working more simply. I believe that when things are easier, we have more time for what matters most. This week, we're talking about The Four Tendencies, a phenomenal book and framework by Gretchen Rubin, my favorite podcast host, and we're talking about how The Four Tendencies will change how you view personalities, people, and expectations, and then we'll cover some useful Google search hacks, which are in the spirit of my tendency. Let's get started. All right, so make life easier this week. We're talking about Gretchen Rubin. If you've never heard of her, she is a phenomenal podcast host. She hosts a podcast called Happier with Gretchen Rubin, and she and her sister, Elizabeth Kraft, host this podcast. It's a weekly show, and I have pulled so much inspiration and knowledge and so much joy from this show. I really love it. The first thing that I credit Gretchen Rubin for is showing me Gary Taub's why we get fat and what to do about it. And truthfully, I credit her and him, Gretchen and Gary, for helping me to lose almost 70 pounds in less than a year. I've dropped that weight doing a low-carb diet, and it's because of her recommendation and then finally reading his book and implementing those strategies. So that was huge for me. That's the biggest thing. But then a number of other strategies that have cropped up, and I've referenced her show a lot on this show. I've referenced her just from the first episode of her show where she talks about the 60-second rule or the two-minute rule, there's variations of that technique, but if things take less than a long amount of time, so two minutes or less to do, just do them right now, things like that. I've referenced her a lot. She's also an author and she's written a number of books and one of her most recent is The Four Tendencies, which we're going to cover in this episode. And just some things that come to mind from remembering from her show, she clerked, she used to be a clerk for Sandra Day O'Connor. I believe she's a lawyer by trade. She lives in New York. And if you're interested in all in her show, you can check it out by going to happiercast.com. And and three guesses for where you think I got the inspiration for easiercast.com from. So let's talk about what the four tendencies are. This is her framework, Gretchen Rubin's framework for explaining how people handle expectations, meaning the things that are expected of them by other people or what she calls outer expectations and the things that people expect of themselves, which are called in her phrase, inner expectations. And four groupings arise when you put the expectations into resist or meet categories. So the four tendencies that she talks about are upholders, which are people who both meet outer and inner expectations, questioners who resist outer and meet inner expectations, obligers who meet outer and resist inner expectations, and finally rebels who resist both outer and inner expectations. And she does a really nice job of kind of not graphing, but depicting these tendencies visually in that she has four circles in her diagram that, you know, they're kind of right. It's one on top and then two right below it and one below that. And they overlap 
in certain areas. So folks have a primary tendency, one into which they fall typically, and you can tilt or tip toward one of the other. So for instance, upholder overlaps with both questioner and obliger because they share one commonality in terms of their expectations. So for instance, an upholder both meets outer and inner expectations and questioners meet inner expectations. So they overlap there. The opposite's true. They over upholders will overlap with obligers because they meet outer expectations. So when I'm talking about expectations, what does that mean? So if you're working on a project, for instance, and inner expectation is a deadline that you set for yourself, you decide, for me, I decide that this podcast is going to be released weekly on Wednesdays, and that episode has been there every Wednesday for the past 35 weeks of regular episodes plus eight little episodes during that hiatus, and that is my own inner expectation. And So that is an example of inner, and then outer expectations are expectations that are set on you by others. So an example of that would be a deadline given to you by a boss or a partner or whomever. So you got to think about this strictly, this framework strictly in terms of expectations. It doesn't describe every aspect of someone's personality. It doesn't answer every single question, but it does help you to understand better how to interact and how to work, especially with other folks. So let's talk about each expect or each tendency a little bit more in depth, starting with upholders. And again, these are folks who meet outer and inner expectations, meaning they are both good with deadlines and setting their own expectations of themselves. Gretchen Rubin says that she is an upholder and that this is the tendency that she's found has the fewest people in it. Only 19% of people who've taken her quiz, and I'll talk about the quiz in a little bit, only 19% of people are upholders. That is the second smallest tendency. So some strengths for upholders. These are folks who do the things that they say they're going to do. They're very reliable. You know they're going to do what's asked of them because they easily and readily meet those expectations set by others. They're also really good with deadlines. They're self-motivated and self-starters. They do things for themselves just as well as they do things for others. And they're reliable and thorough. You know that they're going to get the job done when they're asked. Now, some weaknesses. People can see them. They can come off as quite inflexible and rigid. They follow the rules almost blindly, and that can cause them to be seen as uptight. And also, this can make them really impatient with folks who don't also meet outer expectations. So perhaps for questioners and rebels who resist outer expectations, that can be frustrating for upholders because they get just get things done themselves and they don't see why others don't. This is a good point, I think, to pause for just a second and point out that Gretchen Rubin asserts quite strongly that there is no best tendency. They just are. If you're an upholder, it may sound like upholders are the best because that's what you are, but that doesn't necessarily ring true for her. She says that they just are what they are. You find yourself in the bucket that you're in by birth. She says that this is not a, uh, it's a genetic thing. It's not something that you pick up or that really can be changed even. She says that you pretty much are stuck with what you are. It just is. So if you find that later on you take the quiz, which we'll talk about, and you're an obliger and you really don't want to be, 
you're doing yourself a disservice because you're kind of going against your nature. So just keep those things in mind as we talk. There is not one better or best tendency than the others. Okay, so we talked about the strengths and weaknesses of an upholder. Let's talk about dealing with them for a second. So as you know, they get stuff done. So you can count on them. You can expect that when you give an upholder a task, they will get it done. They'll get it done well. They'll get it done thoroughly. But sometimes those folks, upholders, need to be reminded that others don't always meet expectations like they do. Not everyone just does the things that others expect of them. And that's not a a pro or a con. That's something that just is, like I said a minute ago. And so they need to be reminded that as an obliger, for instance, those folks need outer accountability, which we'll talk about, external accountability. And so because they don't meet expectations for themselves, they can be seen as flaky or as unprofessional by upholders. And upholders need to remember that's just their nature. It is what it is. The last thing in dealing with an upholder is that they may have trouble delegating. They like the work just so, and they think that their way is the best, and so they may have trouble actually handing out work. Okay, up next is the questioner, and this is an individual who resists outer but meets inner expectations. This is someone who, true to their title, asks a lot of questions. So their strengths are that they're very efficiency and effectiveness driven. They like to optimize. They also love data. And one of their biggest pet peeves is that they don't do things always just because that's the way they've been done. They're going to question tradition for the sake of tradition. And also they can be quite fair-minded because they weigh evidence and they look at lots of options. Some weaknesses for this type are that they can go into analysis paralysis. If they're shopping for something, they're going to look at every alternative and ask a zillion questions, and sometimes that can lead to frustration and the inability to make a purchase or make a decision because there's just too much information. They also do not like being questioned themselves, quite ironically. The thought process behind that is that they've already done the hard work, the heavy lifting of asking all the appropriate and important questions, and so to question them is to question that work. So that's another weakness. They don't like being questioned themselves. And also, they tend to be impatient with others, especially folks who are doing questioning, who just don't accept their reasoning right off. In dealing with them the best things to do are to bring data, reason, and research, and also to be patient with the questions. They're not questioning just to be jerks. They genuinely need knowledge and information to make decisions. It's in their nature to ask those questions, and so it's not necessarily questioning for the sake of being uncooperative. Questioners also really dislike anything arbitrary. Anything that's, that's the way we've always been done, so that's the way we're going to do it, doesn't make sense to a questioner. They do not love arbitrary and tradition for the sake of tradition. If you say something like that, the response is likely going to be, so what? Who cares if we've always done it that way? Why do we want to continue doing that? So, okay, number three are obligers. And these are folks who meet outer and resist inner expectations. And I missed this stat on questioners. So let me jump back for just a second. Questioners are the second largest group at 24%. But obligers are definitely by far the biggest group, and these are 41% of the total population tends to be an obliger. 
So again, they meet outer and resist inner expectations, meaning that they are really good workers and good bosses and good team players. But when it comes down to getting things done for themselves, they struggle for sure. They, like I said, they work well in teams and they will get things done for others in a bl- in the blink of an eye. And they are typically seen as responsible because when they're asked to do something, they deliver. The flip side of that is that they can struggle getting things done for themselves. Tasks around the house, errands, things that are important. If they don't have what Gretchen Rubin says is external accountability, it can be quite tough for them. They also can get really easily burnt out if too much expectation is laid at their feet. They can be kind of exploited if they don't set boundaries in their minds as to what outer expectations they're willing to take on. And that can come in the form of even just like a boss who demands too much and kind of intuitively knows that they're dealing with an obliger, even if they don't have the name. If they know that anything they ask is going to get done, sometimes that leads to people taking advantage. And in that vein, overwork can lead to what Gretchen Rubin calls obliger rebellion. When they finally get to a point, and usually it's an arbitrary point, it's not some big ask and they get frustrated and they they give up. No, it's usually it's push, 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 push. And then suddenly with no really rhyme or reason, suddenly they snap and they say, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm done. And they, they go full tilt rebellion and refuse to do whatever it is. So that is can be a, a bit of a weakness there. So in dealing with these folks, it is incredibly important to set in place external accountability. And like I said, from others, especially questioners and upholders who deal well with inner expectations, this can seem really unusual and almost maybe lazy or irresponsible that external accountability is so important for these folks. But if you just accept that external accountability is necessary and don't lay judgment at it, it's an incredibly powerful tool. So if an obliger needs to say, call and make a doctor's appointment, having someone in the background saying, hey, did you remember to make that doctor's appointment can be very helpful. It gives them the accountability. Gretchen Rubin also talks about accountability groups. So if you want to read more, join a book club because it gives you accountability to make sure that you've read that book. Deadlines are also really important for obligers. If they have a deadline, they're a lot more likely to get this whatever it is done as opposed to relying on their own accountability, which they resist. Just to reiterate, like I said, a lot of times others see the need for obligers to have external accountability as weakness. It's not. It's just the way that it is. And you can leverage it. When you know someone's an obliger, you can leverage that need for better, that you can give them external accountability where they need it. And then also in dealing with them, try not to expect too much. Don't go too far because when they're overworked, it can lead to that obliger rebellion. And then number four is the rebel. And this is the smallest group and it comes in at only 17% of the people that Gretchen Rubin has quizzed, which we're going to talk about in just a sec. These folks both resist inner and outer expectations. These people are fiercely independent and they're going to ditch the norms and they're going to resist expectations no matter whether they've set them themselves or whether they've been set by others. These folks tend to be more creative and they think outside of the box and they really understand themselves well. Weaknesses here, though, can be that they're quite uncooperative or they can be inconsiderate. They don't like meeting any expectations and so things that are asked of them may not get done. 
consistency can also be a problem. Some, one day they'll feel like getting something done and then the next they won't and then the next they will. And it's it's kind of no rhyme or reason there. And they struggle with routines and planning and they can also get quite restless when expectations are too strong. In dealing with these folks, they place a high value on choice, integrity, and identity. Identity is the big thing Gretchen Rubin says is important in dealing with a rebel. If you need a rebel to get something done, the best way to do it is to appeal to their integrity or appeal to their identity. For instance, if this person is a parent and they need to do whatever task it is, you can put the expectation inside of an identity statement. Good parents give their kids X food, whatever it is. And if they see themselves as part of their identity as being a good parent, they'll typically comply. Another thing that's good to know about rebels is that they are quite good at delegating work, especially because they're not so great with meeting expectations for themselves or for others. So I've mentioned a couple of times about this quiz. Gretchen Rubin has a quiz that you can take that helps you to identify your own tendency. It's pretty short, and I I think quite a lot of people, hundreds of thousands, I think at this point, I could be wrong, but a lot of people have taken her quiz. She's got a lot of great data, and the quiz is really simple. And if you head over to the show notes, you can get a link there, or just go to happiercast.com slash quiz. Again, her podcast is called Happier. And I know you're used to me saying easiercast.com. So just watch out for that. It's her show is happiercast.com slash quiz. Take that quiz and see what your tendency is. In case you're wondering, my tendency is questioner. And I bet that you could have discerned that just based on my description of questioners and the content of this show. Clearly, I like to make things easier both life and work. I like to optimize. I like self-development, things like that. And those are in the wheelhouse of the questioner. And I will say that being a questioner for sure has the drawbacks and the strengths that I mentioned. And one other kind of interesting thing here is that typically, typically I'm a questioner that tips toward upholder that I will very readily meet my own expectations, and I will somewhat readily meet outer expectations, the expectations from others, if they make sense. If someone gives me some kind of an arbitrary task and they don't give me a reason, I will absolutely resist it. And But if somebody explains to me what it is and why they need it, typically I have no problem with that. There's only one tiny exception. Questioner overlaps with both Upholder and Rebel. And I have one, and I don't know if Gretchen Rubin would accept this as what it is. She might just say that this is a questioner tendency. I have one tiny little Rebel strain in my personality in that if somebody gives me a direct order, especially someone whom I believe should not be giving me a direct order, I will absolutely resist it with all of my being. So I used to do this as a kid, with my mom and for instance I could be literally walking from my bedroom to the kitchen to do the dishes because that's what I was just getting ready to do I could be on my way to do it and if my mom in the 30 steps it was from my bedroom to the kitchen if my mom were to say hey can you do those dishes I would immediately not want to do them anymore I would rebel because it was an expectation laid in at my feet and I it, it just was counter to my identity in that moment so that is my tendency 
And I'd be really curious to know what yours are. So feel free to head to the show notes. And of course, the link will be at the end of the episode. I will give that link. But feel free to head to the show notes and leave a comment or join me on Facebook. And when I the, the episode will, of course, be posted. It's usually posted on Facebook at about 7.30 on Wednesday when it airs. And we can get a conversation going there about your tendency and what you think about this framework. So find me on Facebook. I really am excited about that platform. I have been building the Facebook page to include content from all over the web. And I really think that you'll love it. So if you head over to facebook.com slash easier cast, you can connect with the Facebook, like that page, and then just start engaging there. And I'd really love to have a conversation with you about your tendency. The last thing I want to talk about with this is how to make use of this information. So there are a few resources from Gretchen Rubin that you can take advantage of to really put these or put this information into practice for you. The first, obviously, is that quiz that I talked about. Go in, take the quiz, and figure out which tendency you are. So I found myself wondering, how do you put this knowledge into practice for others? Well, Gretchen Rubin provides a really great, simple resource which she calls her flash evaluation. It's kind of a set of questions that help you to identify, that you can ask someone that help to identify what their personality type is. So I will have a link to the flash evaluation in the show notes. I will also have a link to the book, which is, of course, one of the best ways of getting this information is to read the book. I have it. I read it. I rented it from the library, read that book, and then just went out and purchased the book. And so now I own it. I love this book. The last way that you can do it is if you listen to her podcast, she did an episode for each tendency at the kind of the beginning of her show in the the 30s. It's episodes 35, 36, 37, and 38 on each tendency. So if you want kind of the quick and dirty podcast version, you can head over to her podcast. And again, all of those links will be in the show notes, and I will give you that show notes link at the end of the episode. Are your days super busy? Even though you're stressed and tired, do you feel like somehow you just don't get enough done each day? Well, you're definitely not alone. That's why I put together an awesome one-page guide on my top 15 strategies for getting more done in a day. These are all of the best productivity tips I've found from books, online research, and experience. It's completely free. All you have to do is head over to easiercast.com slash get more done to grab your copy now. Again, that's my free one-page guide called the top 15 strategies for getting more done in a day. You can find it at easiercast.com slash get more done. All right, let's get back to the show. All right, for Make Work Easier this week, I thought I would do something in the spirit of my tendency, which is a questioner. And I thought, where else do people ask their questions more than on Google? So I thought maybe I would give everyone some quick hacks for how to run better Google searches. I'm not sure if you knew it, but you can actually add modifiers to your Google search. In other words, you can add certain characters that help to change the way Google interprets your search query. So the first is if you needed, for instance, a very specific phrase, if you were looking for a really specific phrase, 
and it had to include those exact words, you can actually put that phrase in quotes and it will force Google to look for that exact phrase in the title or in the content that you're searching. So for instance, if you just search tallest building, that could be pretty vague. You could also search tallest building in Chicago and that would yield you specific results for Chicago. But if you put the whole phrase in quotes, tallest building in Chicago, beginning with quote and ending with quote, the pages that come up must have that phrase in them, the pages or the titles. So that's a a way of narrowing down your searches. Then if you're running searches and you're getting the wrong results, you can use the minus symbol to get rid of stuff you don't need. For instance, if you're searching generically for Apple and all you want is information about the company, you can search Apple and then minus fruit. So it'd be like, you know, no space between it'd be the minus sign and the word fruit to take out any references to the word fruit, hoping that you will narrow it down specifically to results about Apple, the company, or another example, let's say you're looking for keto pizza options. So it's a low carb pizza option, but you really hate cauliflower and a lot of pizza recipes that are keto or low carb call for cauliflower. You could search keto pizza and then minus cauliflower to ditch things that refer to cauliflower. On the flip side of that, you can require certain words to be in your search phrase by using the plus sign next to whatever word or phrase you want. And you can combine these things. So if for some reason you had a longer search query and you wanted to exclude only the part about tallest building in Chicago, you could put that in quotes and subtract it and it would take everything else out. On the flip side of that, Let's say you were specifically looking for keto pizza recipes with cauliflower and you only wanted to see them that reference that. You could put a plus sign by cauliflower, so it would be keto pizza plus cauliflower, and the results would have to have reference to cauliflower. If you just do keto pizza, you could get types of recipes that include all different kinds of things. So this is a way of narrowing down your search to get a lot more specific. So I just thought that, you know, as I was thinking about the four tendencies and my tendency being a questioner, I thought that those would be some nifty and kind of related hacks for you to try as you run your Google searches. And that's it for episode number 35 of Easier. Remember the four tendencies, upholder, questioner, obliger, and rebel. And also remember to check out the quiz to figure out what your tendency is. Also, try out those Google search hacks and see if they help you get some better results out of your searches. Do you have any tips, techniques, or tools for making life or work easier? If so, please email me at podcast at easiercast.com or head over to the show notes and leave a comment there. The show notes for this week can be found at easiercast.com slash 35, easiercast.com slash 35. And again, all those resources I mentioned throughout the show can be found there. Also, one quick note this week, I really wanted to thank Jonathan who emailed me earlier in the week and let me know about some problems going on with my email service. So I really appreciate hearing from him and we got the problem fixed. So thanks so much. 
Finally, if you know anyone who would benefit from the tips I've covered in this episode, please be sure to share it with them. Hopefully, every share means that someone somewhere will find more time for what matters most to them. Thank you, as always, so much for listening. Until next week, here's to an easier life. Bye for now. 